welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. All right, welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today, we are joined by leadership strategist Tristan Williams. He's an author, speaker, and consultant, and also the president of Boom Loop Group. One of the world's rising experts on organizational health and leadership, Tristan's books and courses have been used to transform leaders and their organizations to help them create thriving work environments and high-performing teams. As always, if you enjoy the episode, please take a moment, leave us a review. We greatly appreciate it. Enjoy the episode. All right, Tristan, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, man, it's been a long time coming, but I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm glad we got it done. So as an easy way of getting started, can you tell our audience uh, who you are, what you do, and just a little bit of background to set the stage? Yeah. Uh, All of the listeners out there, uh, my name is Tristan Williams. I am an author, speaker, and organizational leadership consultant. Uh, The name of my company is Boom Loop Group, and we are infatuated with human potential. Awesome. So when we were prepping for this, and I want to get into leadership and and what you do for your customers, but I I, I want you to tell just kind of your upbringing and how you came to be an entrepreneur, because I think it's a fascinating story. Uh, Thanks. I really mean that, not just a a blanket thanks, (laughs) but thank you for that. So I'm from Chicago, South Side. For anybody who's out there listening, representing the South Side of Chicago, um, but you know my my story is is fairly unique, and I'll I'll give you a statistic that I'm not sure if I share it with you, um, based on parents' education, being raised by a single mother, the age that she had me, which was 19, the age that her mother had her first child, which was 16, I was given as a, just a, a black male in Chicago, statistically, a 30% chance of graduating high school. Just high school, not college, mm-hmm. not anything beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, so odds were stacked against me as far as resources, as far as what I had access to. Fast forward to today, I spend my time advising CEOs on leadership strategy. So there's a lot that happened in between there. And that's kind of what you're asking about. So um, one winter, uh, I wanted to get my mom a Christmas gift. So I said, you know what? Uh, there's this big candy store that she would go to to buy candy for the house. So anyone that comes to her house, they, they would call us the candy lady because we had so much mm-hmm. stuff there. So uh, I would buy these big bags of Fruities, uh, which is owned by uh, Tootsie Roll. So at the time, uh, you could get a bag for maybe $15 or so, and you would get hundreds of pieces, put them in little baggies and sell them for, you know, two to five cents a piece. I don't remember exactly what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I was maybe uh, 13 or 14 years old at the time and figured out what my percent of profit could be if I put, you know, 30 of these little pieces of candy and sold them for a 4% upsell or 4 cent upsell, right, per piece. And so that winter, I racked up about four or $500 and I bought my mother a, a gold um, tennis um, chain. So I felt like the man. I was like, <laughs> this is nice. You know, um, hey, mom, look, look, look at what I got. And she opened and it was like, oh, my goodness, where, where did this come from? How did how did you do this? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I told her the story. And so that it just really gave me a hunger for figuring things out 
and creating, you know, creative solutions. Because by that time, I figured out the people who were notable in society, who kind of held certain positions, they were going to these kinds of schools. They were kind of raised up in these kind of upbringings. And that stuff started when they were young, when they were five or six, just being molded in a certain area. So I figured if I was going to win in life, I had to figure out a different path. And I quickly figured out that path was going to be entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So, and I love this story and just figuring it out. And I bet your mom loved that gift too. <laughs> so how did you get into the leadership space? Yeah. So um, after the, the year, the year after that, I was an artist. So I wasn't really able to afford the kinds of clothes, the name brand that my friends were wearing. I was on the basketball team. So I called myself popular by proxy. Nobody was really interested in me. It was just my cool friends that were scoring all the points. I was just on the bus with them. But hey, I had to hang around these guys. So people looked at me and, you know, I was getting teased for wearing kind of off-brand stuff. So I was like, you know, this this isn't going to work out. So I would go to to Michael's and and buy a little paint for a dollar, acrylic paint. And I would create designs for myself and wear it. So it's like, I, I can't do the name brand. And I don't want to do the off-brand stuff because people are teasing me about that. So I just had to do something completely different. So people started asking, where did you get that from? And I was like, I made this. And so just like the candy, I started selling those t-shirts, $20 a pop, up to $40 a pop. And I started doing uh, teams within the school. And within that process, I figured out it wasn't the art. It wasn't the paint. It was taking a person's vision and making it come to life showing them iterations of the design, seeing their faces when I delivered the product. So I figured there's something in this idea of you told me something and I took what you told me and now I'm re-delivering it in a different fashion. That just gave me such a high. So entrepreneurship was just something I was really interested in. So after college, I joined this accelerator that had kind of a, a social entrepreneurship vent. And one of the co-founders was the first VP of sales from Facebook, employee number 44. And I was a part of the second class of this accelerator. So we learned all these principles. We competed for funding, had team members from across the country. And in short, I loved the experience so much that I said, hey, you know, if you thought about this, it can make the experience even better. And so it was like, well, we're not going to do it. They were all about empowerment. They said, why don't you go and do it? So it's like, okay, sure. I hated my job anyway. So this is, this feels like life to me. So more and more ideas come. Now I'm consulting for them. More and more ideas come. Now I'm bringing a team with me to tackle bigger projects. And within two years, one of the co-founders stepped down and they asked me to be a replacement as a managing partner. So here I am with first VP of sales at Facebook, um, a retired Air Force colonel, a real estate mogul. And I'm 23 years old, and these are my peers now. And part of what my job was, was to coach these global entrepreneurs who were coming in through the accelerator. So that's where I really got my first taste of leadership development. That's great. So, so, so I guess fast forward to today when we talk about things that you're doing with, with your customers. When, when, you, when you walk in, because you, you have a unique background in the sense of you have business, you have creativity. And when you walk in and you work with customers, uh, I know we've talked a little bit about branding and, and their, their purpose, 
But can you elaborate a little bit on, you know, kind of specifically what you're helping these companies do today? Cohesion is is the name of the game for me. Uh, you you walk into organizations and you everyone's seeing values on the wall. We believe in integrity and honesty and teamwork. And, you know, it's a bunch of bull because the organizations aren't living it out. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you ask someone, how does your organization do that thing that they invested in putting on the wall in every hallway? And every person that you ask will give you a different answer, which is creating a terrible employee experience. And so if you have a terrible employee experience, these are the people you're trusting to handle your customer. These are the hands, the feet, the faces, the lips of your organization to your customer. And if you aren't treating them well, it's impossible for them to treat your customer well. Mm -hmm. So um, some people may have a great experience and they treat the customer perfectly. Someone else is having a crappy experience and then the customer gets that experience. So you see it in the reviews. Oh, I had a wonderful experience. My experience was, was terrible. Right. So it's it's what I'm doing is franchising a leadership operating system within organizations. This is the way you should be thinking about leadership based on what you do. And how can we train each and every leader to act in a consistent and aligned way? Can you talk a little bit about the framework, the the operating system, as you call it, like what what it entails and maybe for people that are listening, uh, why they would need it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so our first start with this idea of your aspirational culture, and that that C word really just turns a lot of people off at at the very get go. Um, and I, I start with it, and I'm working with executive leaders on culture. One because it's not just something that's an HR function. Culture is an executive leadership function if it isn't anything else. And what I mean by that is how work gets done, what you prioritize. And and for example, say you're a tech company. Most tech companies would say they value innovation because you have to continue to innovate or you're going to become irrelevant if you're selling the same tech from 15 years ago. So if you have a, a manager who's saying, okay, this is the project, we're, we're going to put innovation first, but we also need you to prioritize the results in delivering on time. If I'm an engineer, if I'm a creative, whoever I am, there's going to be a, a time and place where the desire to innovate and the desire to deliver on time is going to become at odds with one another. It is inevitable. So in that moment, I need to know what my organization values most so that I can be in alignment with what the organization is trying to bring about. If it's delivering on time, it's okay. We care about the results more than iterating, more than figuring out the next version. But if it's, hey, it's all about the innovation. We need the new product. We need it to be as creative as possible. Even if it's a week late, then that person knows I need to really be pushing it on the creative side. I really need to dig deep to create something brand new and fresh. Your people shouldn't be at odds trying to figure out how to please their managers. And so like that is the first piece that I start off with is what do you care about and what do you care about more than the other things you care about, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does. And and a question on that, because it it, it makes complete sense. And it seems like what, what I'm hearing is what we tell 
potentially the street or our customers that what's important to us isn't necessarily how we're treating our employees internally about what's important. So if, if innovation is important and, you know, customers are important, but then internally, if the things that employees are focusing on um, don't align with that, is, is that kind of where you're getting at there? Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's completely different. So, um, it sounds good, right? Everything oh, yeah. sounds good. Like, yeah. We're, <laughs> we want to be the most innovative company in the world and have the happiest who customers, doesn't? like who, who's not going to say that, but then it's, they're not actually living that internally. Oh my goodness. It's, it's so true. So at, at a high level, there are two different kind of opposite ends of the spectrum that defines how work is done to maximize results. One of them is flexibility versus stability. And this is kind of where that learning innovation comes in versus safety and authority. Predictable results is the opposite end of innovation. So if you're a financial firm and you're dealing with my 401k and my investment portfolio, I don't need you to want to be the most innovative organization in the country. Yeah, I need innovation to, to be a little bit less on your priority list because a stability is most important for me as the customer. So if you, know, you have a broker who's innovating and testing new things and strategies every other month and their results are all over the place, hmm. that's not going to work for anybody. Right. right. So you have flexibility versus stability. And then on the kind of what, what I call the, the x-axis is independence versus interdependence. This is the relationship you have with your colleagues. So the stability versus the flexibility, that's your relationship with work. The independence versus interdependence, that's your relationship with your people. And the way that that works out is if I'm an independent worker, I have the autonomy to go get results by almost any means necessary. If you think about Zappos, what are they known for? Amazing customer service. Mm -hmm. Their phone reps have the autonomy to deliver results because they were independent thinkers. They could take a situation and deliver amazing experiences based on what that individual customer needed. And they didn't need to worry about what the rep on their right was doing because they were focused and tapped in on that one situation, delivering an amazing experience versus interdependence. Think about marketing, think about uh, PR, um, messaging. We need to work together to make sure we're all on the same page. We're not missing anything. It's all about caring for one another. It's all about working together. It's all about the team effort. So you have that the x-axis and the y-axis, and in between those, you kind of have what I call the eight culture chromosomes that I'm taking into organizations. And what I do is I say, hey, based on how you need to deliver results, we're going to narrow down your top three. Everyone is going to have a priority. You can't value one as much as the other. You're going to have one, two, and three. And based on those priorities, we're going to outline everything else in the organization from how performance is managed, from how you do compensation, from how you do rewards. That is the foundation of your leadership operating system. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Jesse, you have a question? 
Yeah. I just wanted to follow up on that. Maybe just go one layer deep, deeper, if you don't mind. So go ahead. Um, with, with that exercise, which I love that, by the way, are you typically having those conversations at, let's say the CEO or the COO level, or are you for maybe a bigger organization having those conversations with each business leader over their specific unit, for example? Ah, uh, yes. I love that question. Uh, yes, is the answer to the question. So the way that we do it, um, it's for the entire organization. And for anyone listening, my, my arms are stretched out as wide as they could be. For the entire organization, we create that one framework model. What are the top three? And then what I do is I go to each head of department, each vertical leader, and I say, this is what the organization is about. These are the three that we value at the top level. Does it make sense for you to switch one based on how you need to deliver, right? Does three need to be moved up to two? Does one need to come down to three based on how you work it out? Because in each organization, you're going to have creative functions, right? You're going to have financial functions and everyone doesn't need to do everything the exact same way, but it still needs to have a degree of uniformity, right? I think about it like a family, Every family could have its family values or we eat dinner at this time, um, but our children are not created equal. So you may bend and flex some rules based on how this child needs to be nurtured and how this person learns. But at the end of the day, everyone still has the same last name. And we still do things the way that's going to work for this household, even if we need to stretch and bend and, and kind of arc things and make it work for individuals. That was an incredible analogy. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, so on oh, that, thank you. When we, mm-hmm. t- when you talked about when you first started it and there's the three priorities, it's mm-hmm. not, so it sounded like when the, at the top, the leadership level did it, like none were more important than the other, mm-hmm. right? It's just one, two, three. But then when you mm-hmm. went into the business units, they may prioritize certain ones depending on what their function of the business is. For, for all of them, it's one, two, three. No, nothing can be equal as, as another one. Um, it's just the fact that when you go into those different business units, they have the flexibility to move the order and priorities of some of those culture chromosomes, as I call them. Cool. I don't want to um, make your, your CMO use the same system as your controller. That's not going to work out. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I know I had a question and then I, I passed over to Jess, so I kind of forgot what I was going to say. Jess, do you have another question? Well, I don't know how much deeper we're going to go here. This was kind of your 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 plan or maybe what was one of your follow-up questions was going to be, but I'd love to hear from Tristan on what the, what happens with the framework after that. So, you know, yeah. as we, as we've kind of talked about and alluded to, you know, oftentimes these values are created at the enterprise level. They're, they're painted on a board in an office mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they're maybe talked about mm-hmm. once or twice a year. And then there's some organizations who do it just a little bit better. They may build it into performance reviews. The executive team might do a little bit of a better job of wrapping it into kind of quarterly town halls. But beyond that, you know, I'm I'm assuming you and you know your your business leaders are having conversations about how do we really make this meaningful? How do we make this less than a check the box activity? And for you know when uh, employees of these organizations talk about 
the culture of the company that they're working for, that these values are weaved into how they're describing the culture in which they work. Amazing question. You are, you are painting the, the reality of what's happening in most organizations. You, you may have some folks that do it a little bit better. They reference it four times a year instead of two. Um, but right, we, we have, there are four parts of, of the, the OS, right? There is kind of defining your, your cultural landscape to shape your morale. There are also strategic priorities. Um, what does the organization care about as far as the results? Um, so for quickly, as an example, um, some organizations are employee centric above all else. The organization was created to serve the employees. Think about um, maybe an organization that was created to employ ex-cons or created to employ urban youth. The, the whole objective is to give folks a job. No matter what they're doing, they need to check where we exist for that. Some organizations exist strictly for shareholder value. Some organizations exist strictly for the customer, right? So there are there are different, there are six different ways or reasons organizations exist. And the same for the culture chromosomes. I have them pick. What do you exist to do? One, two, and three, right? So you have all of these different parts of the operating system. And just to your question, how do you weave it and embed it in the daily life of the organization? And you know, the, the model that we use is what we call the workforce life cycle. From recruiting and hiring to onboarding and training, performance, evals, how you do recognition, how you do recognition in relationships, even to how you fire employees or send them off well if they're leaving or retiring, based on what you believe about your priorities, based on what you believe about your culture, based on the metrics that you are um, measuring that should inform how you have a recruitment conversation. That will inform your onboarding 90-day module. That will inform the types of projects that you disseminate. That informs how you give raises, what compensation you give out um, to, to the nitty gritty of if your organization makes the employee or the prospect um, start with an offer of what they want to be paid versus saying, we pay top of the market and this is what we can offer you. All the way down to that level, this is what the operating system creates. So there is nothing that should happen that shouldn't go through the operating system first. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you go through this exercise, I'm curious because we have listeners from all different size companies and you think of company, you know, like Jess and, and myself, large companies, they've probably gone through similar things over time. Um, just, you know, failed, tried something new, failed. Whereas there's probably a lot of companies listening to that are maybe 50 employees. And I imagine if you sit down with a business owner, they say, I exist because I didn't like my job and I wanted to, you know, make more money and start a company, right? Like they haven't really thought necessarily about these kinds of things. So when you do these exercises, are you guiding them towards, uh, you know, what it should look like or helping them to kind of, kind of like pull, pull it out of them? I'm, I'm, I'm curious how you get to those three things and if it's tough to do. It's the most fun thing in the world. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, it's, it's challenging because what I do is I tap into their belief system. 
not their leadership, not their performance, not their background. I tap into what they believe about the world as it exists. Mm-hmm. So um, this is this is an exercise that I'll take an executive group through. I start with your top 10 beliefs about the world, whether it be your political beliefs, your religious beliefs, your economic beliefs, anything. Nothing is off the table. What do you believe about the world as it exists? And not just as it exists, but what do you believe about the way the world should be? Mm-hmm. And based on those beliefs, I'll take your company values, whether you have four or six or eight of them, and I will look at those values and I will try to connect them to your top 10 beliefs about the world, the way it exists. If I can't distill your values from your beliefs, it means those shouldn't be your values. Mm-hmm. I bet that happens a lot too. It's like, okay, we're, we're throwing this to the trash. This yep. is because you created values based on what you thought your customers wanted right. to hear you say, yep. not based on what you really value. Mm-hmm. Like that is the word, it's value, it's personal. So you can't have a value without starting with personally, what matters to me? Racial equality, um, economic stability for the country, um, women's, like all of these things are values that people hold dear. And it has to be those things that you are willing to fight for, values and beliefs that you are willing to offend someone else over. When I get into controversial belief statements, that's how I know we hit the target. Right. So it sounds we, it sounds a little bit like a, a therapy session, Tristan. <laughs> it's it's not therapy. It's it's kind of like a inception. I'm like yeah. you know getting getting into the intercesses and and kind of extracting the things that you don't want to tell other people. But at yeah. the end of the day, the things that you don't want to tell other people. Those are the things that's driving decisions when mm-hmm. there is no path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When people are trying to figure out, do I furlough employees? Do I take a lesser compensation myself as a CEO? Right. What do we do? It's those beliefs that drove those decisions, not yeah. the company values on the wall. Yeah. And when I, I love that. And when I said therapy session, I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, you're playing this role of really helping them be vulnerable and kind of peel away the layers of the onion, if you will, to get to the guts of the why, because we all know that employees, every employee that works for a company or every leader who runs a company has to have a why they have to be behind. Why do I show up every day? Why do I do what I do? Mm-hmm. Does it align with my personal beliefs as well? You know, there's lots of boxes that we check as we're considering whether or not we want the job or whether or not that organization is the right organization for us. And so I just, I love that exercise. I think whether a uh, executive is going through the exercise of creating values or a manifesto or whatever it is that asking themselves those questions is really critical And I'm also kind of wondering if um, you ever play a role in influencing that at all. So for example, I'll give you a specific example is, Mm -hmm. you know, we think about the generation, you know, the current generation, as well as future generations that are headed into the workplace. And we're hearing from a lot of these generations, things like 
we work hard and play hard here and, you know, things of that nature that are not, you know, may have been motivating to a generation of the past, but are not motivated to a generation of the future. When you're hearing beliefs um, come out of these exercises that might align with something that you might know would turn off an employee or make that organization less desirable to work for. Is there any persuading or coaching that's going on in those conversations? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Go with it. Because the thing is, if I'm persuading you, then I'm helping you create an inauthentic version of yourself. And that's the whole purpose is to help you create just what's authentic. I'm not trying to tell you what you should be. I'm not trying to create a marketing scheme. I'm just trying to extract what's already in there. And and this is the whole foundation of this exercise is that if you can just be authentic enough, there are employees and customers who will attach to you just based on them wanting to be authentic. Wow, they're, they're saying what I really believe. They're standing up for what I truly want to see someone else say, but I don't have the courage to be about. I'm going to give them my business. I'm going to give them my loyalty because everyone else is saying what everyone else is saying. But these guys, they're a little bit different. They may rub some other people the wrong way, but at least they're aligned with my belief system. Mm-hmm. So, and, and maybe influence... Uh, isn't the right way of putting it. I guess when Jess, when you asked that question, what I was thinking is when like she gave the work hard, play hard. Are mm-hmm. you giving any guidance to maybe say like, can we go deeper on that? Because that's, that's yeah. a broad. So the thing. exercise wasn't done yet at that yeah. point. Right. So, so at a high, high level, we go from belief. The next level is value. The level underneath values is behaviors. So, You look at values on the wall, no matter what organization you're in, it's very difficult to live into each of those values every day at all times. Even if you get them right, it's very hard to live into them the way that you should. Values are aspirational. This is who we really desire to be. Versus your behaviors, those are non-negotiable. I go from six Six, six values is pretty much my sweet spot. 10 beliefs, six values, two behaviors. What are the behaviors that every person in the organization must exhibit at all times? Mm-hmm. And if they don't, it is a non-starter and it is a cause for immediate dismissal. Like we are so serious about these two behaviors. If you're outside of that, you got to get out of here. Right. You can do a whole lot of other things, but if you're not doing this, you have to go. And that is the level that really creates that authenticity and gives people the parameters that they need to work out in. So example, learning from mistakes is a value or a behavior um, that one organization had. We learn from our mistakes. One of those two behaviors, there was a, a facilities manager that had an accident at his location. He handled the accident well. He did all of the proper steps. He made sure all of his employees were taken care of, but he didn't report what happened to the rest of the organization. This was a top performer in the organization, ran an entire facility, and because he didn't share what he learned, he was fired. Hmm. 
at that organization, you do not keep learning from other people. Right. Yeah. I like that. And that's one of the things, you know, that I was wondering when you go through this is there's, it's, it's kind of a high pressure situation in terms of when those become non-negotiables, whether it's behaviors or values, you're, you're kind of, you're starting fresh and this is how you're going to do it. And Mm -hmm. I would imagine that that gives a little bit of pause to some executives. Like, do we like, how long does it take to finally narrow down on these things? Say, okay, we're good with this. You know, is it it a quick thing or does it take a while? It depends on the degree of truth that people are willing to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is predicated upon the trust that they have with one another. If you don't trust your colleague to the right of you, you're not going to really want to share what you really believe because you're afraid of judgment because you got to go and work with this guy next week after I leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right, that's where frameworks like, you know, five dysfunctions of a team where Lencioni talks about trust is the foundation for any high performing team, right? It's just so true. Like, I can't get through to people if they're worried about being judged by their colleagues next mm-hmm. week. So those are kind of things that I do my best to set the stage for. It's like, hey, this is a, a no judgment free, a judgment free zone, right? What we're doing here is, is going to come out of here and this is what we're going to come out with. And it's all going to be great. Um, and that's just part of my job. It's just to create that environment to let people let their hair down and kind of say what's on their mind. Yeah. Well, and there has to be so much conviction behind that decision, because that example that you gave was really powerful, Tristan, of mm-hmm. we have this high performing employee in our organization that outside of this specific scenario has yep. done nothing but perform exceptionally well. But because this is what we have agreed upon, we mm-hmm. can't use the excuse of, well, he or she has never done anything you know, to mm-hmm. make us be concerned about his or her employment before this, or a, yep. lot, a lot of organizations would make up a lot of excuses for a variety of reasons as to why they shouldn't have terminated or they shouldn't terminate that employee in that particular scenario. So um, not yes. only is it the creation and like everything that you've just stated, but then it's the follow through on mm-hmm. what was agreed upon. Yeah. It's integrity. If you, if you say it, then be about it because that one instance where you're not about what you tell everybody you're about, then it's, it's haywire. It's the wild, wild West. Everyone is going to do what they think they should do because they just saw that you don't hold people accountable. You don't really believe this stuff. You just paid a team to come in here and do a bunch of stuff and tell the stuff to make us feel good. Right. We, Mm -hmm. we've lost so much trust in you because you didn't follow through. So making that decision to let that one person go is the best decision that you make because you're, you live in integrity, but you also maintain the trust of those other thousands of people who are watching you. Yeah. You reinforce, reinforce the message and the credibility that you have as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. So what about when these changes are made, let's say you have 5,000 employees and you make these changes, naturally there's going to be people that maybe don't align or agree with this, awesome. new, this new purpose, right? Amazing. Yep. <laughs> Is that uh, just a simple kind of weed them out or, uh, you know, I mean, how, how do you handle that? Weed out is not what I would call it, but 
when I go through this phrase or this, this process, and if we don't see resignations, then we haven't done a good job. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. I like that. Um, just, just recently, um, in a, in a K-12 regional, uh, network, uh, an amazing teacher saw the system that was coming her way, um, through our, through our program and immediately resigned. Yes. That's what we want because we don't want people who can't be team players and work within the system. Um, and again, if you're working with those deep beliefs and people are seeing those beliefs and they aren't moved one way or the other, it means they're not strong enough. This should be moving people one way or the other. And what happens is you're going to push some people out, but at the same time, you're going to push people further in. Mm-hmm. And the issue that we're seeing right now is retention and attrition. Oh my goodness. You can't keep an employee to save your life these days because there, there is nothing to hang on to other yeah. than the salary and the, you know, the, the potential to rise up when there is a deeper level of conviction and belief, people are willing to forego some of those other amenities because they're at a place where they believe they should be. Mm-hmm. So I might be going down a road that's kind of outside here of the topic a little bit. So you guys just, um, keep me, keep me true here, but I'm thinking about the um, interview process, Tristan, and the process that organizations go through in order to ensure that they're hiring the right employees for their organization. And these values, in my opinion, should always be built into a really good interview and selection process. Mm -hmm. But in my experience, I think hiring managers, talent acquisition professionals, other HR professionals that participate in hiring decisions have struggled historically to say, you know, outside of maybe asking some questions that um, align with the values that we have as an organization, um, they may struggle with like, are, are we just being told what we think, mm-hmm. you know, the, the candidate thinks we want to hear, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So do you, do you help out in that regard at all in terms of insights and, um, selection process and how organizations can do that process better in terms of ensuring that they're making really good hiring decisions that align with those values? Yeah. So, um, one, you're exactly right. Um, when I was an employee, I was one who interviewed extremely well. Um, I was a salesperson. I knew how to tell you what you needed to hear to get the job. I just knew how to do it. Um, I got to the point where if I got an interview, I was getting an offer 100% of the time. If, if I got FaceTime with you, it was done. You were in my pocket. <laughs> I could do it, right? Um, however, I think. I mean, people, most people say, you know, this is a a two-way street. We should be interviewing one another. Being true to that, I think is a great step. And based on what you believe in your organization, um, how about starting an interview? Very first interview, what questions do you have for me? What? I don't have any questions. Or, right, it just that is going to let a person know how well prepared you are and how interested you are and in how you studied the culture that you say you want to be a part of. 
most people, they give you the spiel. This is who we are. This is the role. Tell me about it's something that you can do when you're asleep because the process has been repeated over and over again, especially if you're interviewing, you're given the same spiel. But if you start off, what questions do you have for me? You're going to knock people's socks off mm-hmm. because no one's going to be prepared for that. But when you do have that person that's prepared, actually, I was curious about this. That's your winner. And through that process, they're going to let you know what they saw. They're going to let you know what they researched, and they're going to let you know how they see themselves as being part of the organization. And then that's when the two-way street comes. Mm -hmm. That's when you start to dig into background experiences and experiential questions. You have to be able to figure out who really wants to be here. Yeah. So I I want to play devil's advocate to that really quick. I have have a manufacturing plant and I have a hundred open positions, Tristan. And absolutely. I care that people care about our values, but ultimately we do need people here. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's say that we can't just pick one out of a hundred winners. Instead, mm-hmm. we need the people that come in, no matter how they feel about our vision or our purpose, we need to, I guess, mold them into who we need them to be. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Is there a training process? Because ultimately, like, hey, they may be just, they're not behind it and they don't work out. But I do think there's people that, um, you know, aren't like you in terms of like, they're good at interviewing, right? I know exactly what you mean when you walk into an interview, everybody asks the same question, like, and you can own that process, but not everybody knows how to do that, right? They're just looking for a job, but they're open to, hey, if you guys have a great, you know, purpose and great values. Yeah. Like I'm in, mm-hmm. I'm in like, yeah. teach me those things. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's a great question. One, when you're, you're feeling for kind of mass positions, you gotta, you have a sales cohort, you need to hire 40, you know, AEs that that's a very realistic situation. And I've mm-hmm. seen that done really, really well. Um, one of the ways that that is done well is, you know, if you need expediency is a high priority, right? Um, once you get folks in, you really have to extend that onboarding process. I mean, I've, I mean, you, I'm preaching to the choir here, but you guys have seen two week onboarding processes, right? It's yeah. like, what do you expect people to learn when, if within two weeks, the neediness of the organization has to decrease. You can't expect people to produce after before 90 days. It's, it's just really difficult to expect someone to kind of fly on their own. Not saying you can't expect them to do work. Absolutely. Um, but just the extension of the onboarding process versus, hey, let me give, let me put the water hose on you for, for two days or for a week. Let's, let's drip it out a little bit. Let's drip it mm-hmm. right, over a longer process. And throughout that process, we're going to teach you our leadership operating system. We're going to teach you everything that you need to know. We're going to tell you about our customer. We're going to share life stories about our customer so that you're really entrenched in what you're doing and why you're doing it. And mm-hmm. day 91, you're more mature. Um, I, I, I've been learning about um, children, infants, newborns. I got a, I got a five-week-old baby here. Um, so she's being fantastic because I haven't heard her once since we've started. So thank you. Um, but there's a thing called the fourth trimester, which is the first, you know, 12 weeks of a child's life. They can't do anything. You can't expect them to do anything on their own mm-hmm. because they're, they're still transitioning from one life to the next. 
And it's the same with our new employees. We have to decrease our expectations and just allow them a, a, a trimester to kind of, you know, come, come to life and figure things out. And I think if you share their beliefs, there's, I can count on out of the gazillion jobs I've had before I started this company, there's one company I can think about that actually shared specifically what they believed. Mm-hmm. Not just, it's, it's all about, this is what you do. This is how you do it. Here's your laptop. Here's your, the systems. Tell me about why I'm here. Yeah. Tell me about what the CEO believed when she started the company. Create an emotional connection with me. And if you do that, oh my goodness. Well, congrats, congrats on the baby. I'll tell you that. Um, Woo, thank you. My, my <laughs> oldest is seven years old and she's still onboarding in a lot of areas. <laughs> but I, 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 did, uh, I did make a note. The one, you know, we're always looking for unique topics and stuff to bring on here. And, and Jess, we've never really dug into that onboarding experience and uh and heard like different ways of of doing it here and there some people give their advice but if anybody's listening and they they know of a great onboarding expert or a company that's doing it really differently like would love to hear and, and talk more about that um i know we do we, we do have to wrap but i i also the last thing i want to ask before um you, you can tell people how they get a hold of you tristan is no matter what company you're working with. Well, I shouldn't say that. Most companies though are still going to want to be profitable and they want to grow. And so can you talk a little bit about the benefit of this operating system and doing it really well so that people aren't afraid like, well, we can't just change our mission and all of a sudden shareholder value isn't important anymore. Um, There has to be business benefits to to doing it this way. This is a, a direct quote from my book. Um, Employees in a highly engaged workforce outperform their less engaged peers by a whopping 147% in earnings per share. Mm -hmm. And we hear that time and time again, and yet it just doesn't resonate always with people. Um, Not sure why I think we're getting closer, but I think a lot of it is like, I just, people don't know how to do it. Right. And that's where you can help them. I think one of the things um, that's challenging is you the the gap or the delta between these principles and that 147% per share is so wide. It's mm-hmm. like, what am I tracking in the middle to let me know that these things are working? And that part is really, really challenging. So, you know, we we kind of have a model of um, of tier KPIs. Um, kind of tier one. You know, we we have um, an employee kind of, well, a workforce health score, uh, an inclusive score of your workforce kind of operations to let you know, based on our system, how well your organization is performing. And over time, you can track the holistic score. And it's kind of comprised of all these different components that we've been talking about. Um, Secondary KPIs, things like um, your, your customer lifetime cycle or your customer lifetime value, uh, rate of adoption, the days it takes to hire a new employee. You have some of those, you know, middle KPIs that let you know your organization is getting a little bit more efficient. And of course you have kind of your health, your engagement and kind of all that good stuff. And then ultimately you have stuff like your, your revenue, your profit, right. Kind of the, the number 
the numbers driven kind of things that you're looking at at the bottom line. But it's, it's really hard to go from, oh, I implemented a system. Where's all the profit? Right. And when it's going to take time. Um, and so there are just many things in the middle that you need to track that ultimately help you get there. Yeah. But it's it's challenging for people who aren't bought in. I think, I mean, all the way back to good to great with, with Collins, this stuff is out there and data is continually showing that it works if you do it. But if you're just starting, it's going to take time and you just have to trust the process and trust the historical data that precedes it. Yeah. All right. Last question and short answer, because I know we're out of time, short but, answer. but I, I have to, I had to ask this. What happens when the four executives that you do this with aren't there two years from now and the new, and, and new people come in and they say, well, this, you know, this isn't how I operate at my last company. And this isn't what, because it's every company is not owned by the founder anymore, right? As they grow, it's, there is a revolving door of executives at a lot of companies. Quick answer, super quick answer. One, yeah. you want to do your best to bring in people who have alignment with what you have as best as you can. But answer. two, right, for that person to have a degree of autonomy, they need to be able to make changes. Most great leaders are coming in day one changing stuff. So typically when people want to figure out, hey, what's going on? What's good about it? and change things after they really get a feel for it. So it's, it's kind of both. Okay. Yeah. So people that are still there, like, yeah, uh, that makes sense to find somebody that aligns with it. Well, it, this is, this has been amazing. Tristan, can you tell our listeners how they can, um, you know, get your book and how they can connect with you, whether it's social media or through a website? Yeah. So, um, special offer for you guys, I literally created this just for this podcast, uh, boomloopgroup.com. Just traditional spelling, boom, like big boom, uh, loopgroup.com forward slash podcast. You guys can get a free download of my book, Fruition Power, where I'm talking about a lot of these principles. It's, it's a PDF immediate download that's going to be sent right to your email. And for anyone who downloads that, I'm giving a 25% off of that organizational workforce um, score assessment to come in and kind of figure out what are what's happening, how healthy are things going based on our model. Um, so home website, boomloopgroup.com. You guys can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram forward slash Tristan Williams, T as in Tom, R-I-S-T-I-A-N, Williams. And I will link everything in the show notes. Uh, we appreciate that offer as well to our listeners. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was so excited. <laughs> we always appreciate when people come on and, and offer exclusive offers to, to our listeners. So again, we appreciate that. We appreciate your time, Tristan. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh man, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for having me guys. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. 
You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.